Question for you all. Have any of you found yourselves in a situation where you had to pay or give a little bit more than you anticipated for something? It's a rhetorical question. You can nod if you want, but I imagine you might have. Uh, or maybe you found yourself in a situation where you had to do something for someone else that was a little bit more than you thought you'd signed up for. It happens. It happens sometimes. And then maybe that little voice in your head began to say, why should I be doing this? They don't deserve this. What have they ever done for me? Has anyone had that? Instead of giving cheerfully, we still end up giving, but doing it with a begrudging attitude. This is a really interesting dilemma, I think, because on the outside, we might be doing something really good. We might be doing something really generous and wonderful, but actually on the inside, in our hearts, it's a completely different story. And our motivation for giving and generosity might be not quite matching up with what is happening externally. And you know, as we look at Jesus and the character of Jesus, we'll see more and more that he is more concerned with what's going on inside our hearts than what is being presented externally. So we are going to look a little bit at our motivation and explore a little bit of that as well as we continue this series on generosity. I know it's already been mentioned as well. The, the title today is a little bit curious, Hilarious Generosity. We're not talking about, ha, 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 look at how we give. That's not what we're talking about. The reason why it's called that is because the passage that for us is taken from a book that was originally written in Greek. Uh, and the Greek word for cheerful in that book is hilaros. Hilaros. It's quite fun to say. Uh, that Greek word means cheerful or prompt. And that's also, it is where we get our word, English word hilarious from. So, hilaros, God loves a hilaros giver, cheerful and prompt, meaning that we need to be cheerful in our hearts, have joy in our hearts as we give, and we also need to do it promptly, immediately, without delay, not saying, oh, I'll do it later, I'll, I'll put it off, I'll put it off, I'll put it off. Cheerfully and promptly. Now, Jesus taught many things, and living generously was one of those things that he spoke about quite a lot, and he modeled this with his own life as well. And this, at the time, was considered really, really radical because it went against the culture. And actually, if we're honest, it probably goes against the culture today even more than it did back then. But Jesus taught his followers to be peacemakers instead of fighters. He taught them to put others first instead of putting, himself for, uh, putting themselves first. And he also taught people to live sacrificial lives. And he modeled this by going to the cross to die for all of our sins. But what does that really mean for us to be cheerful givers? What does that actually look like for us practically? Well, over the past few weeks, if you've been coming along to our Sundays or been hearing the talks, we've heard about this character from the Bible, from the book of Luke, called Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is someone who encounters Jesus in Luke chapter 19. He was a tax collector, and he was renowned for cheating people out of their money, for taking more than he should have, and he was a very wealthy man because of the way he was mistreating the poor and hoarding money. So that was what he was known for. And yet... We only see him for 10 verses in Luke. And yet, when he encounters Jesus, when Jesus looks him in the eye and says, Zacchaeus, I, wanna, I want you to host me in your house today, Zacchaeus' life completely turns around. This encounter with Jesus prompts a radical shift in his attitude towards generosity. What that looks like, the change is so radical for Zacchaeus that he says, I'm going to give away half of my possessions to the poor and everyone I've cheated, everyone I've cheated money out of, 
I'm not just going to give them back what I cheated them out of. I'm not just going to give them back double. I'm going to give them back four times the amount. When you really think about that, that feels quite excessive. Four times the amount. That's a lot. If he cheated 100 pounds, for example, he's giving back 400 pounds or whatever that would have been, whatever he had done at the time. An encounter with Jesus prompts radical generosity. We see this beautiful, generous picture of church in the book of Acts in chapter 2. And, and this is a moment where the early church was forming and Jesus had gifted the Holy Spirit for the church. And so they were using the gifts of the Spirit to do life together. They were sharing possessions with each other. They were really living for Jesus in everything that they were doing. The beauty of church and what they model well in Acts chapter 2 is that it was a family. That's what church is meant to be. This is meant to be a family. We are a family here. And there will be times in this family where you'll be in a season of giving, but there'll also be times where you need to be in a season of receiving, and you need to have people come around you, wrap around you with love and support. And you need to let other people love and support you and be generous with you. And then there'll be a time for you to step back into that season of being very generous with others. It comes in kind of waves and flows. Whenever, I don't know about you, but whenever I watch kind of TV and I see a character who's going through this really extreme period of isolation or loneliness, my first thought is, where is their church? That person might not even be a Christian, but I'm thinking, where is the church? Because if they were connected to a church, if the church knew about them, they would be wrapping them up, gathered around them, supporting them, loving them. That is what the church does. The church is a place of being open and generous with one another. And the motivation for our generosity should be love. It's not about making ourselves feel better, and it's definitely not about making ourselves look better. We can't just buy this joy that the giving brings. We experience it through the overwhelming generosity of God. Our generosity towards others in our church family comes from a place of, as I said earlier, first, knowing the incredible radical generosity of Jesus. But there is more to this, because this generosity that we are invited into, it doesn't stop at our church family or our friends or our loved ones. Whilst Jesus was eating in the house of a Pharisee in, in Luke 14, Jesus shares that we shouldn't just invite our friends or our siblings or our rich neighbors for meals. And instead, we should invite the poor or those who are on the fringes, on the edge of society, and then we will be blessed. He said, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, the way that Jesus compels us towards radical generosity challenges our approach to transactional relationships. What do I mean by that? Transactional relationships is relationships where we say, well, I'll do this for you only if you do this for me. Yeah, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. And as soon as I feel like you're not doing this for me, if you're not pulling your weight in this relationship, I'm going to cut you out. Because why should I give and not get anything from you? You don't deserve this if you're not giving it to me in return. That is the way of the world. That is not the way of Jesus. Michael Horton, this theologian, he says that in an economy of grace, there is enough to go around. The Father's love and generosity are not scarce. His table is brimming with luxurious fare. That is why we invite those who cannot repay us. After all, it is not our table, but his. 
And Jesus doesn't even just stop there. Yes, he says, show generosity for the poor, for those who cannot repay you. But he also says to show the same generosity for those we consider to be our enemies. I was saying to a friend this past week, as I was thinking and preparing for this, I was saying to a friend, you know, it is challenging when Jesus says, love your enemies, be generous with your enemies, serve your enemies. My friend went, he didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, love your enemies. I was like, oh, he did. And it's challenging. He says it in Luke chapter 6. If you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. I think if we look at the world, if we look around, we we actually recognize that lots of people in this world are generous and kind. Lots of people are generous with their family, with the people that they love. That's a really normal thing. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to be generous. However, according to the world's terms, we are to be generous to the people that we love, to the people who love us in return, to the people who we know we can get something from. And Jesus invites us to extend that circle so that the outworking of this radical generosity with a cheerful heart is not just for our friends and family, but it should also be for those who can't pay us back and even for our enemies. And as the world looks on this, often it doesn't make sense to them because they'll look and say, but those people don't deserve our generosity. What have they done? And actually, when we look at what Jesus did for us, when I look at what Jesus did for me, I didn't deserve that. And yet Jesus gave me everything. Jesus gave you everything. He gave you his life. Can we do likewise for other people? Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't think I have any enemies in my life. Maybe that's not the kind of wording that you would use. But what if I asked you, is there anyone in your life that just really annoys you? Or maybe someone that rubs you up the wrong way, or someone that you have a really differing political view with that always gets you into an argument. Maybe it's someone who undermines you at your work. Maybe it's someone you feel like bullies you. Maybe it's a a community of people that you don't really trust. Or maybe it's someone that you think needs to work harder. Or it could be someone you wish would contribute to society more. Jesus challenges us to show those people generosity. That is what makes it truly radical. And we are to do it cheerfully and promptly. And it's why stories like the Good Samaritan have struck a chord with so much of the world for so, so long. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the story of a man who is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he falls into the hands of some robbers. They beat him up. They take everything he has. They leave him basically naked, half dead on the road. Sad, sad scene that we have right here. And then a priest comes along, and we go, oh, thank goodness, a priest is coming. It's going to be okay. The priest sees the man, and he crosses the road and carries on walking. Oh, that's a, that's a surprise. Then we see a Levite come along. Oh, good. The Levites were people that had special religious status at the time. Surely the Levite's going to do something. Nope. Levite crosses the road, carries on walking. What's going on here? 
And then a Samaritan comes along. The Samaritan sees the man, cares for him, brings him to an inn, pays for the innkeeper to look after him with two days worth of wages and says, anything else that this man needs, I'll be coming back and I'll reimburse you for everything. That's pretty radical. But it's even more radical when we realize that this breaks our expectations because we probably thought the priest or the Levite would be the one to step in. But the person that Jesus was speaking to at the time was a Jewish person and Jews and Samaritans hated each other passionately. They had a rivalry that had lasted for hundreds of years because they could not agree on where it was appropriate to worship. And so the person Jesus was speaking to would have been shocked that it was the Samaritan person who is the one who steps in to show mercy and generosity and care with no guarantee of being paid in return. Radical. And there's actually one more thing around these passages that jumped out at me this week that I'd never noticed before. If you jump to chapter 9 of Luke, so if you go to the just one chapter before, Jesus himself receives opposition from a Samaritan village. It says in Luke 9, he's going through the Samaritan village and the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turns and rebukes them. So only in the chapter before, Jesus had basically been disrespected by an entire village of Samaritans. And his followers say, shall we kill them? And Jesus is like, no, have you been listening to anything I've been saying? Oh my goodness, that's not what we do. And to make his point even clearer, Jesus then tells a story just one chapter later that flips everything upside down by honoring the generosity and care from a Samaritan. How radical. Because I think from the world's perspective, we would say, well, Jesus has every right to badmouth the Samaritans after the way they dishonored him, after the way they disrespected him. Yeah, bring fire down on them. How can you do that to Jesus? Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus does the opposite of maybe what we would see as the world. He elevates and honors those even when they don't deserve it. And I'm so thankful that he does because he does that for me and for you and all of us. Knowing Jesus and encountering him prompts radical, joy-filled generosity in us. So what does that practically look like in our life? What does that actually look like day to day? Well, of course, obvious ways. We've spoken about it before. You can give to the church. You can give your time in serving in various activities and ministries that happen in the church, but it doesn't stop there. There's loads of things. And I'm just going to list off a bunch of things that I've come up with, but I'm sure you'll be thinking of other ones as well. One of the things that you can do to show radical generosity, you can have people around for dinner. Share food. Everyone needs to eat, right? I love food. When people invite me around for a meal, I'm so blessed. It's a wonderful way of showing radical generosity for someone. All it takes is maybe making a little bit extra, considering who it is that you could invite to come around for a meal. Perhaps also expecting no invitation in return, right? As we've been talking about. What about offering lifts for people? Who can you pick up or drive somewhere that would be a real blessing for them? You know, petrol is expensive and maybe it kind of puts you out of your way a little bit, but actually that gesture can be really, really generous and can make a huge difference for someone. You can deliver home-baked goods. You can bring them into your workplace. I know some people love baking. Uh, we don't take that for granted. When you bring in a cake or cookies or something like that, it can really, really lift people's days. It can lift people's spirits, be a real encouragement. 
And yes, there is a cost. Ingredients cost money. It take, it's taken your time. As we were talking about earlier, maybe there are people at work that you don't get on with. If you bring a cake in, you are being radically generous with someone and also hopefully kind of offering some mediation through sugar. Like, let's let it, let's let it work. <laughs> Another thing you can do is offer practical help like DIY, cleaning, or maintenance. That can always really be helpful for people. Um, you can give blood or plasma. I was thinking about this and like, you know, Jesus died for us. He shed his blood for us. So really it's nothing more Christ-like than share, sharing your blood for someone else. That's a very uh, Christ-like situation. I'm, I'm a passionate uh, advocate for donating blood or plasma. Um, you can donate if you're between the ages of 17 and 65. And also we are so, so privileged in Birmingham because we have one of the three plasma donation centers in the whole country, in our city center, very convenient. Um, so if that's something that you're thinking about or curious about, I would love to speak to you more about how you can get involved with that, and I'm happy to chat through any questions you have. Plasma, which is the yellowy liquid that our blood sits in in our body, it's used for making life-saving medicines for over 17,000 people in England, and over 50 different conditions are treated with these medicines as well. And also, after donating, your, blood, your body just replenishes all its blood within 48 hours, and you're, you're back, to, back to normal. So I highly recommend it. That's one way we can be radically generous. What about leaving a kind review on someone's business or Airbnb or whatever it is, leaving a kind review for others to see? It takes a bit of time, but actually it can make a really big difference for independent businesses. You could offer to look after people's children, maybe babysitting for them or taking them out to the park, to the cinema. We can also try and reframe this, not think about it as a chore, but think about it as something that is life-giving, that is so enriching for our life in Spending time with people of another generation to you can be really, really great. You can host people to stay in your home. I want to say hosting relatives and close friends, loved ones, is a very kind and generous thing to do. But people who host refugees or who, who host people who don't have anywhere to go, that is incredible radical generosity. And I've just been blown away as I've seen people in this church host refugees and people like that. Been blown away and all the glory goes to God for giving people the, the strength and the courage to do that. It's amazing. Finally, you can also set up meal rotas for, for people, food drop-offs for new parents or those who are grieving the loss of a loved one. I just want to share, our friends, last year they had a baby, uh, and they aren't Christians, and so we set up a meal rota for them for, for a whole month, uh, and various people within Riverside got involved and signed up to drop meals around, and our friends, they, they could not understand why. They kept going why are you doing this? They couldn't get their head around the fact that people were just coming around for free, giving them food, support, and love without asking for anything in return. That was radical generosity because then we can point to Jesus and say, well, Jesus did it for us. So we want to do it for you too. So there are some things. You probably can think of others as well. But ultimately, these are some things that we can all do in our life and we don't do it for our own glory. We do it because we know the love of Jesus, and we want to joyfully share that with other people. God created us to experience the greatest joy from sacrificial and radical giving. You know, the world's view will say that we need to find joy by getting more stuff. If only I had that new car, I wish I could go on that holiday, then I'd be truly happy. I need more clothes, more friends, more skills, and then I'd really find joy. And yet Jesus offers us true joy through giving and through sacrifice. 
We've got a little story video from someone in our church family. This is Becky. She's part of our Riverside Performing Arts team, and she's just going to share about the joy that she has experienced through following Jesus. For me, following Jesus means joy. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be okay, and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Psalm 73:26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My lovely mom chose this as my life first, and every day I remember it. Following Jesus is going where he wants me to go, fully knowing he is there also. I guess just putting it simply, wherever he is, that is where I want to be. I love how she finishes that. Wherever Jesus is, that is where I want to be. And that was the same for the followers of Jesus in the Bible. They followed him everywhere. They, they listened to his teaching. They witnessed him lay down his life for you and for me and for everyone in the world because he loved us so much so that we could have relationship with God. So if we follow Jesus now and if we read the Bible in order to get to know him more, we will see so clearly that Jesus lived with the conviction that there is enough. There is enough to be generous and sacrificial and giving, even towards our enemies or towards those who cannot pay us back. Let me read you this quote from John Mark Comers from his latest book. I think it really summarizes some of these things. At the heart of the Trinitarian community we call God is an outflow of generous, self-giving, forgiving love. In the gospel itself, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and the son, in turn, gave the spirit. When we give our money, our resources, our time and love, we get to participate in that divine outflow of love. And when you act like God, you get to feel like God. It comes at no surprise that sociologists are just now discovering the truth of what Jesus said two millennia ago. It is happier to give than to receive. What do you have to give? Put another way, how badly do you want joy? So what if we, as followers of Jesus, were known as the people who gave the most? Known for giving our time, our money, our hospitality, known for giving our encouragement? What if we were known as the people with the most joy? We experience joy when we give, when we live generous lives for everyone around us. So we're going to take some time now just to respond and to think about how knowing this generous God forms our attitude to giving. How knowing this God who gave us everything through Jesus, who gave us life to the full because of Jesus, even though we don't deserve it, is what prompts us towards radical generosity. Therefore, we can be cheerful and prompt as we show radical generosity to everyone. <laughs> 